start the start the show today with Project Veritas. Go, James O'Keefe. Breaking news: A source within the Department of Homeland Security has leaked to us an intelligence bulletin marked for official use only, unclassified, in light of the FBI raid on President Trump. This document, dated August 12th, refers to a heightened threat from what the Department of Homeland Security calls DVEs. Or de- All right, folks, I'm going to let uh, James O'Keefe in a minute explain what a DVE is. Uh, before we do that, welcome to GAMCAST for August 18th, 2022. Cloudy day in Atlanta. It just keeps raining. I feel like I'm living in Rangoon. And it's funny, it was a hot summer, and it looks like it's going <laughs> to it's going to go away quickly and be a cooler fall, which we, we could use. But anyway, tons of stuff to talk about uh, out there. It is a slow, slow news day, which is consistent. They got us all hyped up over the Trump stuff. They're working on that. And then they had the Tuesday election. Um, and so now they're heading into the weekends. And, uh, they, they, you know, they don't do a lot. I mean, this has been a, this has been a thing that we've been seeing here for a while. There's no more news industry. Um, we're going to get to an office space bit in a, in a minute, um, which we'll probably get this. If you're watching on the YouTube, we'll probably get it uh, banned. I'll have to appeal it and, and get them to lift it. But anyway, i uh, got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the uh, speech and debate clause in the context of the Trump litigation, which is going on. Our local Fulton County DA is uh, bringing in Giuliani and Lindsey Gramsci and a bunch of other people. We're going to talk about the CDC, we're talking about former General Michael Hayden. Some Biden people out there. We just got a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, I'm going to try to beat the clock today. I, I, and I've and I got one story that I, I sort of shortchanged yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Let's get back to this domestic violent uh, extremist. That's what DVE stands for. Domestic violent uh, extremist. And, and folks, he's going to tell you in a moment. I'm going to let you listen to him. But the domestic violence extremists out there are us. Okay, and he, let, let's go ahead and let him tell you, and then we'll talk about it. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk about again an office space bit I referred to that those of you probably have heard of before, but it's the famous line: "What what exactly do you do, or what do you do here? What would you say you do here?" I want you to, in the context of today's show, everything we go through, every government official we talk about, every government agency we talk about, what is it you do here, really? To make our lives better. I mean, just forget about the money we spend. Forget about the taxes. Just forget about all that. Let's just assume for the sake of the argument, we should be taxed, and they should take the money, and they should have the parties, and they should have all this stuff. Just what are you doing here for all that? I'm just curious. What do you do? Anyway, so let's get back to James O'Keefe, uh, the founder of Project Veritas, probably the best journal, true journalist outfit out there. He'll con- he continues to tell you what a DVE is. Violent extreme. Unbelievable. I can't believe that computer clicked that quickly. I was already on it and it didn't. Anyway, let me back it up just a second. All right. For domestic violent extremists, quote, motivated by a range of ideologies who have grievances against a variety of targets, including law enforcement. Domestic violent extremists are referred to in one of these paragraphs as, quote, many of these threats include references to the perception that the 2020 presidential election was fraudulent and other claims of government overreach. The 2022 midterms in this document are also highlighted as a potential, quote, flashpoint. Now, folks, uh, we're going we're gonna to listen to this entire bit. He's got a lot of stuff in here. It's really good. But think about that. Think about that. There's an election. Some people have some questions. You would think the first thing, but like, oh, nothing to see here. Sure, come on down. Let's go down to the warehouse. Let's get, I, I talked about it a couple of days ago, the, uh, 
recall effort for Gascon apparently has failed. They disqualified approximately, I can't remember, 195,000 signatures or so. And then they had several categories. Recall one of the categories was duplicate signatures, about 30,000. Okay, folks, that's called voter fraud. If that really happened, right, I'd want to see an investigation. I would want to see some people arrested. Have you heard about any of that? Have you seen anybody go into looking at Do you see the mainstream media going, oh, my God, there's voter fraud in L.A. County of all places? No, you haven't. But anyway, getting back to the point, it's a very simple way to solve this, right? Just show us the documents. Let's go down. Let's look at all 195,000. You're claiming there's all these. They had six or seven categories. Those of you who tuned in, you remember. Let's go through the different categories. Okay, the, the, um, the duplicate signature or the uh, not matching signatures or whatever. Let's take a look at them. Let's just do it, right? They don't do that. Okay, fine. So I, I have a question. I say, let me see this. Oh, you can't. No, no, no. You, you can't see the ballots. No, 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 no. There'll be no audit. There has been no audit, right? Not by a bipartisan commission. No, 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 no. Okay, all right. I mean, it doesn't seem right, but okay. And then, you know, if I say, hey, you know, it's just funny. I have real questions about, oh, you domestic violent extremist, you. What are you talking about, right? What about the overreach? If we can get to it, we're going to get to the CDC talking about they've done a study and they're going to try to, they're, they're admitting their mistake. We're going to tell you why they're not going to do any such thing. But anyway, so, okay. Uh, they issued a uh, moratorium on evictions. They tried to issue mask mandates. In both instances, the Supreme Court struck them down, right? Said they didn't have the authority to do it, right? But now, if I question that, I go, I don't understand under the Constitution how you can tell me that I can't do something with my property. Why can't I? Just my property. I don't want that person in my property. Why? What? What? And now, again, this, they over. They basically said for six months you can't do anything with your property, and now I go. You know, I, I just don't understand. I, I can't. I can't control my own property in the United States. Oh, you domestic. Think about this, folks. That's exactly what's going on, and this is not a joke. This is not funny. It's not. I mean, this is the f freaking bi. And that's what I've been telling you for a long time. You know, people think that the Trump raid was about this and keeping Trump off the ballot. They're just absolutely not even close. It's all about further taking their power down the road. You know, you know, I read a lot. So I read, um, you know, fun fiction. I read nonfiction, and then I read classic fiction. And somehow, this book called The Nightingale. Got, and I don't know how it got in my key. I really don't. I take advice from so many people, and I just I read so many books. It's easy for me to go through them. So somewhere anyway, that doesn't matter. It's a really cool story. It's basically about two sisters and how they deal with the Nazi invasion of um, France in World War II, right? And it's interesting, one of the many themes, and again, it's a fun fiction, so it's not classic, but it does have some, some, you know, similarities with classic fiction. There are a lot of lessons in there. One of the lessons is they didn't really have a good relationship with their father, right? And so he had grown up during the, and actually served in the First World War. And if you remember, the First World War ends around 1918, and the Second World War starts around 1939, okay? So if you think about it, you got about, you know, roughly, what is that, uh, 31 years in there? Is that math right? It can't be right. Right. But maybe it's 28 years. All right, you got in there. Um, well, if you think about it, that that's, that's, doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it's enough for them to have no idea what it was like when the Germans had gotten into France in the, fir- in the first time. But anyway, the reason I tell you all this, folks, is that, one, it reminds you of a lot of the things that, you know, the Germans did during the war, but it also reminds you that one generation 
28 years, you know, difference or whatever it is, can live through something. And then the next generation has no clue, any idea what it's like. And then the Germans come in and go, oh, my God, is this the way that you... And this is another thing. There's a really good movie out there, if you like movies, called The Young Lions. It used to deal. But one of the other themes of the novel is the notion of the conflict between the German soldier, who was the traditional soldier who'd been in the German army, and the Nazi soldiers, the SS and some of these other groups that Hitler created. And he created these groups for a reason, right? They were the extremists. They would come in, and the things the German soldier would be horrified and would refuse to do, the Gestapo and the SS and these other Nazi German soldiers, they had no problem doing, right? That movie, uh, The Young Lines, I highly recommend it if, you, if you're looking for a movie this weekend, or, and it's got some love interest in it too, so it would fit very well, male, female. But a lot of really good stars in it, Marlon Brando, Yul Brenner. Dean Martin and some others. Anyway, but it, it sort of gets into this issue, and this book does too. But, folks, we're literally living through some of this stuff. We're literally seeing what people do. And I, I, I've never seen this. I've been following politics for over 45 years. I've never seen in America a, a United States institution labeling a broad swath group of Americans domestic violent extremists, okay? I've seen times, right, you know, during, you know, during the Oklahoma City bombings and stuff like that where they say, well, there's this, you know, this militia group up in the mountains or this group, of, you know, they would be very specific about who they were, okay? That's fine. But when you start saying people that question government overreach, the 2022, the November 2022 elections, the 20, I mean, you got to be kidding me, folks. You're labeling approximately 50% of the people, and maybe more, as domestic violence extremists. This is, this is, this is fascist-level stuff here. It's not a joke. Anyway, he continues because there's a couple another point in here that I tried to make yesterday with uh, respect. I can't remember the name of the, the the youngster that does it, but we'll get to him. But I want to. He makes another point about journalism, which is part of the problem. Take a listen. Violent extremists. We would not have this document, but not for the brave source inside Department of Homeland Security, a new source that reached out to us on our tip line. Veritas tips at protonmail.com and also our signal cell phone. We're getting a lot of sources within the federal government coming to Project Veritas because they certainly can't go to places like the Washington Post or the New York Times who quote these people on background and show you no documents at all. Now, There's a couple things in there, folks. And, and, and something I've been concerned about, and if you've been listening to this podcast, we've been going over a year now, and it's one of the things I said way in the beginning, is when the whole Russiagate, when the fact that they were spying on the Trump campaign and spying on Trump, uh, I can't remember the name of the document. It's like a Section 201 or a Section 501 or some document that FBI agents, when they, when they do an interview, they're required to go back to their desk, do up a report, and upload the report. And one of those reports, Peter Strazik did, and he, he basically had to go back, and there was a bunch of emails where he apparently mo- he went back, he created a document, and then he went back and changed it and uploaded a bunch of nefarious stuff is the point. And I remember thinking at the time, if these guys get busted over these documents, they'll figure a way to get rid of having to do these documents, right? They're, they're, they're going to find a way around it, right? And, and, and so similarly, the same idea here. Oh, yeah, so there are people in the FBI that are leaking documents and talking to Project Veritas. Right? Oh, we're gonna find a way to get rid of you. We're gonna we're gonna find a way. Now I, I hope they don't. I hope they don't succeed. But they will. Um, the other point he makes here. Notice how they talk. The Washington Post and the New York Times. This is a very important point. At Project Veritas, we get a leak. 
Well, they got a leak somehow. Now, of course, they get sanctioned leaks. They ain't getting leaks from somebody calling some cell phone or some proton mail account, right? They're probably getting the leak from the head of the CIA, head of the FBI, or the assistant to the assistant, right? Probably has those people on speed dial. They, they, they got no problem, right? That, that's a symbiotic relationship going on. But notice his point there. We show you the document. We show This is journalism. Here it is right here for your own eyes. You don't need to take my word for it. But at, at the Washington Post, they, they are able to give the stuff and they get to say it on background. What does that say about Americans? And what does it say about Americans that read the New York Times, the Washington Post, the mainstream media, right? I mean, I read them only because I have to know how the other side thinks. But I don't trust them. I mean, you got to understand r- reports or, you know, uh, sources inside the FBI. You could be completely manufacturing and fabricating that. I don't know. Nobody knows, Right. And, and this is an important point that, that he makes here that is that is lost. And it tells you a lot about our citizenry and where we've gotten to. Anyway, he continues. The Department of Homeland Security has declined to confirm the existence of this document, but you can see it with your own eyes and ears, which is certainly not something the mainstream media wants you to necessarily see. But you can And see- folks, to be fair, because you know I believe in being fair, this could be manufactured. I don't know. I mean, he's showing me a document. It looks official if you're watching on the YouTube or the Rumbles or wherever else we got. Apparently, we've got a lot of other things. But, uh, you know, you can see it yourself. I don't know if it's real or not. I have no idea, right? I mean, it, it, it sounds real based on what we've been seeing. It looks, certainly looks official, but I don't know. But listen, I do appreciate him showing me what he apparently got so I can make up my own mind. Here, and you can see it on our website. As may recall, two weeks ago, a source in the FBI, a different source, sent us a series of documents revealing that the agency was categorizing patriotic symbols that are very common as indicators of, quote, militia violent extremism. And as Ted Cruz pointed out in the hearing, cross-examining Christopher Wray, the Gadsden flag, this bow tie, if I were to wear it, the FBI would consider it an indication of militia violent extremism. Now, folks, this is a a bow tie. It's also, um, I've seen it ever since I've been following politics. It's been around forever. It's basically a little coiled snake, for those of you who are not watching, and it says, don't tread on me. In fact, I think, if I recall correctly, it's on, I know it it either is or was on a license plate of one of the states. I'm I'm certain it was on their uh, their flag at some point. But anyway, it's just an old, you know, founder's um, type of thing. And this is something that's cropping up again and again and again, folks. If you believe in founding principles, like don't tread on me and this coiled snake and all this stuff, you're now seen as a domestic violent extremist or a militia group or something like that. What does that tell you about our country? Imagine how far you've gotten. Not like, well, you know, those people believe in freedom and you start messing with them, there's going to be a whole bunch of right stuff and all this, you know. Eh, they're, they're, they're extremists. Now, folks, how far you think it is until they can arrest you, right? We'll get to it with Gramnesty over here in Georgia and, and Giuliani and some of these other people, but we're on that path, and, and we can see the end of it here. So um, anyway, uh, I want to move on because I do want this to be the theme of the show. And again, um, for those of you out there, uh, this is called fair dealing, right, or fair use, depending on where you are in the world. Um, all right, th- th- what I'm about to do is commentary, educational, it's satire. This is absolutely protected content. Do not block it. All right. This is making a point here using a small portion of a movie called Office Space. Folks, I can't, I don't think there's any profanity in here, but there might be. So if you don't like profanity, fast forward about two minutes. But anyway, this is a scene from the movie Office Space. It uh, I can't remember when it debuted. It was the 90s, uh, sort of a Dilbert-esque type of a, a take. 
on uh, what goes on in corporate America. But I think the point will be made amply when you listen. Uh, here's Office Space, a scene from that movie. Take a listen. What you do at Inatech is you take the specifications from the customers and you bring them down to the software engineers. Yes, y- yes, that's, that's right. Well, then I just have to ask, why couldn't the customers just take them directly to the, to the software people, huh? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, because engineers are not good at dealing with customers. Uh-huh. So you physically take the specs from the customer? Well, no. My, my secretary does that. <laughs> or the facts. Huh. <laughs> so then you must physically bring them to the software people. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Sometimes. What, what would you say you do here? <laughs> well, look, I already <laughs> told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand that? So anyway, folks, um, that, that, I, that, that really uh, it, it sort of exemplifies our government right now. And again, you know, I'll let you watch the movie again. Highly recommended movie. Very funny stuff there. But what would you say some of these people do here? And let's go back to, to, to James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. So they're labeling people that question the 2020 election or the, or the talk about the midterms, right, or don't like government overreach as domestic violent uh, extremists. How does that help us exactly? What, what exactly is the FBI doing here? Don't you have some people to investigate, right? Because that's all protected political speech. And a similar notion, yesterday I covered this guy, Kyle Cheney. He's over there at, let me highlight, get it, scroll over, it'll tell me. He's with Politico. I think he started in 2007. I looked him up yesterday. He's 33 years old. Got out of college in 2007. So his entire formative, essentially adult life has been under the one. Ah, Barack Obama, right? So he came along with Obama, and he thought he's been taught this whole thing where you're to favor black people over white people. White people are colonialists. The Democrat Party, good, good, good. Republican, bad, 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 and fascist, right? And he believes all this stuff. That is what it is. Okay, let it go, right? But what exactly does he do as as a reporter, a political reporter for Politico, right? Well, this is this was tweeted with a comment by Robert Barnes who's a, a world-renowned uh, trial lawyer, does criminal stuff. And he says this is not true. And I, I talked about it yesterday at the end of the show. I, did, I want to spend more time with it today because I wonder what Kyle Cheney, what is it exactly you do here, Kyle? Just curious. So anyway, Barnes says it's not true. Your common sense says it's not true. The story here, and I'll read it, the DOJ says in a late filing that Peter Navarro told visiting FBI agents to, quote, get the F out of here, close quote, when they searched him served him a grand uh, jury subpoena. Now, folks, let's start with that. Okay, Kyle, what exactly do you do here, right? I need to hear what Peter Navarro's reaction was to a grand jury subpoena. Why? He ultimately was arrested and he went forward. So why is it I care what he had to say? Okay, let's just assume for the sake of the argument I do care. And, you know, he said, get the F out of here. Um, Okay, maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe he thought they were inappropriately there. Maybe they, the, when they quote-unquote tried to serve him, they didn't do it properly. Maybe they served him and he, they were sticking around, and he was like, this is my property. You need to get the F out of here. How does Kyle know this? Hmm. Because the government, the government done said that in a motion, in a filing, in a case. 
And Kyle dutifully, like a little seal, goes out and just spreads it. You know, he's playing with that ball, thinning around his nose. That's what he does. What, what exactly do you do here, Kyle? What was the context of get the F out of here? Why did he say get the F? Does it, maybe he tells everybody. You know, maybe I know Peter Navarro. He invites me over for a cup of coffee, and I'm done with the coffee. He goes, okay, great, Romero, get the F out of here. I don't know. But we'll, uh, let's, let's give him a, you know, let's give him another chance. They also say his tarmac arrest was to avoid publicity. Oh, okay. So we don't, we don't, you know, we get you on the tarmac to avoid publicity. Well, that's what they said, Kyle. How do you know that? Have you looked it up? Do you, do you have any documents? Remember James O'Keefe a minute ago, if you're watching, he flashed some documents. Kyle, maybe you're going to show us, and I understand it's Twitter. I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt, but you get the point. You, did you look that up? Did you check? And the leg irons, strip search he complains of, is standard U.S. Marshals protocol. Okay, so if you're looking at the tweet, you can see it here. And you can see right here. This comes, and I'm now double-clicking so you can see it. I'll try it again. All right, so this is from the government's document. I, I, I practice law, so I know what they look like. And if you're looking, you can see right here, case number 122CR0200. That's the case number, right? Document number 33. That means it's the on the docket. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and it'll say what it is. That's the 33, 33rd document. Uh, it was filed on August 15th, 2022, is consistent with what he said they said recently. And it says in here, moreover, the strip search and leg irons of which defendant repeatedly complains is, to the government's understanding, the U.S. Marshal's standard procedure for all arrestees, whether they surrender or not. Okay, so the government says it, therefore it's true. What do you do here, Kyle? You know what he does? He repeats whatever the government tells him if the government is Democrat. If the government's Republican, well, we know what he does, right? How is that useful to us? Seriously. I mean, I, I don't really understand. And I, I, he's one of the persons I file because you do get information, and you do get now that I've got that, I have the ability to go and check that docket out and read more. But I just don't understand. And, folks, Kyle Cheney is not alone, folks. That is 99.9% of the quote-unquote reporting in the mainstream media. It just parrots whatever the government tells you. Well, that's not, that's not journalism at all. Not even close. In fact, it's extremely dangerous. But anyway, so this was in Jack Posobiec's feed. This is a guy named Sam Harris. He's an author. He's a, just a big social influencer. And we're going to listen to a little bit of his discussion about the whole Hunter Biden laptop and, and other things. And I, I want you to just listen to this. I mean, seriously, I want you to listen to this. Now, it, it, this would be fine if this were some imbecile on a corner somewhere saying stuff like this. And, you know, pseudo-intellectual would be one thing. This person influences a lot of people and i want you to listen to it what would you say you do here sam okay well really what do you do because to me what i hear it makes me question you said you're an author you're a big social media influence got a following you start saying things like this i start going what kind of a crap are you writing because whoever's reading it doesn't need to be reading it anymore this is dangerous level stuff and what makes it really so bad is how smug these people are they know better than you and it's just spewing nonsense take a listen I mean, Hunter Biden, at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had, had the corpses of children in his basement. I would not have cared, right? It's like, it's, there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not, it's like, it's not Joe Biden. But even if Joe, like, even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like, if, you, if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and, and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right, or China, it is infinitesimal compared to the corruption we know Trump is involved in. It's like it's like it's like a firefly to the sun, right? Okay. Now folks, 
They've been investigating Trump for over six years now. There's not been a single indictment. They've, they've come up empty time and time and time and time and time again. And so, literally, you, you can kill children, bury them in your yard. They don't care. The, whatever corruption Biden is, I mean, it's, it, it's infinitesimal to Trump. Now, folks, how do you reason with a person like that? I mean, how do you try to reason with somebody like that? Oh, okay, Sam. All right. Okay. Now, you say it's infinitesimal compared to what Trump's done. What has Trump done? Well, he, he, he clued with Russia. We spent two years investigating that, and there's been no, no evidence of that. In fact, it was all manufactured by Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, it's just, how, how do you even deal with that? Not to mention, um, Sam, let's assume for the sake of the argument you're correct about Trump. You're telling me that because I dislike this person and I believe or feel or suspect they're guilty of corruption, it's okay to have another corrupt person. So it's no big deal. Look, a little corruption here, there. Well, what's the problem? You know, I mean, think about that. The, folks, this is where we're headed, where you have people, now understand this, He's saying, I assume for the sake of the argument, he is corrupt. He is bought out by the Ukrainians. He is bought out by the Chinese. I, I'm assuming that's saying, what? It's okay. Who cares? Because this other guy's worse. Uh, okay. Well, guess what? Never fire another head coach of the Dallas Cowboys ever again because he went 2-11, and 11, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, the other guy would have been worse. So, I mean, might as well just keep him there. I mean, this is just absolutely – and, again, folks – if I were the Bidens of the world, I mean, if I'm Joe Stalin, I mean, if you think, remember that the five-year plan, they'd have a five-year plan, didn't get anything done. Oh, we got another five-year plan. Oh, okay, well, this five-year plan is going to do it. They literally had five-year plans for about 30 years. They had six of them or something like that. I can't remember. It might be five. doesn't matter. You get the point. That's where we're headed, to where it doesn't matter. Ah, Stacey Abrams is corrupt. Ah, Brian Kemp's worse. Got to vote for Stacey Abrams. Like, there's just, it doesn't even, it doesn't even stack up against Trump University, right? Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in, in Hunter Biden's laptop. Okay, now we're going to move on just because I, I, it's amazing how much it takes. We're already 25 minutes in. i got a bunch of other things to get to. But, folks, I mean, <laughs> Trump, Trump University, long story short, Trump lent his name to some people that were going to basically learn the art of the deal, essentially, the Trumpism, the way Trump way to make money. And it turns out it didn't go well. Who knows why? Who cares? It, it That level of corruption is the same as basically sending billions of dollars to Ukraine so they then funnel that back, right? Or or, or doing deals with, with the Chinese. I, I mentioned the other day, you know, Nancy Pelosi's son went over on that thing. That should be flat illegal. You shouldn't be allowed to do it. I mean, you know the message you're sending. I understand it's all familial and it's all this other stuff and all that. But people know, oh, you're the third highest ranking person in America. If I do this favor for your son, uh, I'm pretty sure you're not going to do something bad to me, but I'm pretty sure I can only go one way, right? I mean, think about that. And he's comparing that to Trump University. That literally was a story that, you know, again, uh, you know, a mountain made out of a molehill. But anyway, it just goes to show that these people are not rational. They're not trying to be rational, right? But this is why I want you just to hear this, just to understand, folks, how this is, this is, this voter, this person is what they want. And when they get to 50.1% of the people that can't be reasoned with, that can't be logic with, it's over. All right. So let's get to the speech and debate clause. A lot of people like the law stuff. We don't do as much as we used to do um, now that we have a little bit of a shorter show. We just don't have time to get any of these things. But um, long story short, old Fannie Willis over here in Fulton County is trying to um, look into seeing if she can indict Trump. I've already predicted, as I said, Trump is going to get indicted in New York. 
They will not indict him here, I don't think, in Georgia. But Georgia is second. If, if, they, if they don't do it in New York, they do it in Georgia. They might do it in both. I don't think the DOJ will do it for the reason I've said. If you're new, basically, the Department of Justice has a lot of people. They're going to have to live with Republicans forever, right? Um, New York, you're, you're never going to have to deal with Republicans. not going to have to deal with them 10 or 15 years. So there's no real downside to taking the risk. Fannie Willis, eh, you know, she may have aspirations to be in a governor one day, so she might want to piss off, you know, half of Georgia. But anyway, we shall see. Anyway, so they're dragging in Giuliani. They're dragging in Lindsey Gramnesty. And Lindsey Gramnesty basically filed a motion with the Northern District of Georgia under the Constitution, basically saying, look, you can't make bring me down here to testify. There's something called the Speech and Debate Clause. I'm going to read it. We're going to spend a little bit of time with it. I'm going to walk you through it, because it's an important uh, uh, safeguard in our Constitution that a lot of people don't know a lot about, okay? But um, just so you understand, you get the context of what they're saying. They're mad because Gramnesty participated when Trump was calling down here to try to get Georgia flipped. And he said to find votes. And everybody knows what he means. If you listen to the call, and we've done it on the show before. In fact, I think I have a single issue podcast on the YouTube channel. You can go listen to it if you want. But basically, he's like, he spends the first five minutes of the call going, there's fraud, there's fraud, there's fraud, there's fraud. There must be 100,000 votes out there that are wrong. I just need you to find you know, 11,000 of them, because that's all I lost Georgia by. Anybody listening to the call knows in the context what he means is, is go identify 11,000 of these multiple, multiple, multiple fraudulent votes. Well, because you're a Democrat and because you can change what a word means mid-sentence, then now fine means fabricate, manufacture, create. Now, Again, folks, you know, we believe in the truth here. So it's like, if you're going to do that, you might not want to have 25 people on a phone call when you're doing that. But it doesn't matter in Trump world. So Gramnesty, at one point, he threw his hat in the ring. And the reason I tell you all that is to tell you this. He's only throwing his hat in the ring because of January 6th, and he's going to be there, and he's potentially going to object. So he calls up, made a couple of phone calls to say, hey, what's going on down there? We're hearing a lot of stuff. You, you know, what can you do anything? It's all in the context of legislation or his job as a senator. It, everybody knows this. It's pretty simple. So let's read. I'm reading from the uh, judge's opinion. She denied the relief. And she said he does have to go testify. She deals with three of his arguments. This is one of them, the speech and debate clause. The Constitution speech or debate clause provides that for any speech or debate in either house, okay, Democrat, or, I'm sorry, the Senate or the House, shall, be, uh, shall not be questioned in any other place. The purpose of the clause is to ensure that the legislative function of the Constitution allegates uh, to Congress may be performed independently as well as to reinforce the constitutional structure of separation of powers. Accordingly, the speech or debate clause protects inquiry into acts that occur during the regular course of legislative process or into the motivation of those acts. So this end, the clause where applicable, protects Congress against civil as well as criminal actions and against actions brought by private individuals as well as those initiated by the executive branch. Translation, we ain't going to have local DAs, local, you know, uh, attorney generals. We're not going to have people in Maryland dragging people in because we don't like the way they're legislating down there in Washington, right? Pretty commonsensical because if what it, what you see happening now in New York, what you see happening here in Fulton County, that's what they're going to do. Now, the Republicans probably won't do it, and I haven't seen any of them do it, but you see right here what they're doing. Oh, oh, Lindsay. Oh, you were thinking about objecting in the Electoral College on January 6th, were you? Oh, well, <laughs> so sorry, but you're going to be in jail, and uh, you're not going to be able to show up for January 6th because uh, we're going to bring you down here to Georgia and prosecute you. 
It's pretty simple stuff. Anyway, the speech or debate clause has been read broadly to effectuate its purposes. Still, the clause has not been extended, uh, extended beyond the legislative sphere. Well, of course it hasn't been extended beyond the legislative sphere. So, in other words, if you were bringing old Lindsey down here to talk about the fact that he did a hit and run or that he committed a murder or he was engaged in some fraud that had nothing to do with his congressional duties, well... I don't think even Lindsay would bother you with this, right? As a result, the central issue in most cases is whether the activity the legislature wishes to shield from scrutiny is truly legislative activity or is instead casually or incidentally related to legislative affairs, but not part of the process itself. Again, got no issue with that. Nobody would. Sure, but how in the world could him making phone calls about a federal election have anything to do with anything other than that? I mean, that's all we're talking about. It's all legislation, elections, federal government, Georgia, electoral college. I, I, I have yet to hear anything that doesn't have something to do with government, right? In determining which activities beyond pure speech and debate in either house constitute protected legislative activity under the speech or debate clause, courts consider whether the activities at issue are, quote, an integral part of the deliberative and communicative process by which members participate in committee and House proceedings with respect to the consideration and passage or rejection of proposed legislation or with respect to other matters which the constitutional places within the jurisdiction of either House. Again, thank you, Judge. I appreciate that. Uh, we're talking about an election. He's going to go to the Electoral College and he's going to do a bunch of other stuff. I mean, they're talking about uh, amending the Electoral Count Act of 1887 as I speak. I, I don't hear anything but legislation. Here, Graham argues that the subpoena must be quashed in its entirety under the speech or debate clause because it compels testimony about his legislative acts. Anyway, she goes on and on and on. The point is, she determines that there could be things that they might be talking about which aren't related to it and that the clause doesn't extend to everything. All right, folks, let me tell you what's going on here. It's very simple. It's just like with the Trump raid. We're going after the speech and debate clause. This, this, folks, 20 years ago, as soon as Fannie Willis issued that, it would have been quashed. It would have been about as dead as fried chicken. I mean, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Now, she's gotten to the point where she's bringing him down here. He asked the judge, said, hey, you got to do The local judge said no. Now the uh, federal district court has said no. The only thing that's going to help us here is that I think, again, with the Trump raid and now you're dragging senators to talk about stuff that has clearly the only function Lindsay had there was a government function. Maybe the Supreme Court will take this stuff up and do something. I mean, hopefully uh, these people are starting to see how far they're taking these things. But anyway, I just wanted you to understand this is just yet another barrier, another protection to protect us against becoming a banana republic, right? And what, and what is it I'm talking about? Just so it's clear, I want to make sure. What I'm talking about here is that instead of having a federal government and a state government and having separate spheres, what they want to do is say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way Trump has a thing where he's not going to let illegals in anymore. Oh, well, I'm just going to indict him down here in Fulton County because I don't like the way he's doing the immigration policy. And he says, what, what are you talking about? I have executive immunity. Yeah, it's not, it's not unlimited, Mr. Trump. It's, it's not unlimited. You know, I mean, that's what we're going to. And again, folks, you're watching it in real time. This is stuff that you know, is happening in real time. So, all right, folks, um, General Michael Hayden has a tweet out there. I, he, he hadn't removed it, uh, at least when I started the show. Gosh, I can't believe I'm already 35 minutes in. Gosh. All right, I, I'm not going to be able to get through everything. I'm going to bump some things till tomorrow, folks. Uh, all right, so let's get as many as in as I can. All right, so here's the original tweet that he retweeted. And he didn't just retweet it. He retweeted it with a comment. 
Okay. If it retweeted, it'd been bad enough, but you can argue with a retweet. Well, I'm just retweeting it because I think people need to hear it. I, I neither agree or disagree. But when, but when you retweet with a comment that says, I agree, and it's pretty hard you know, to say you don't agree. So here's the tweet. I've covered, and this is Edward Lucy or whatever, associate editor of Financial Times, U.S.-based writer and columnist. I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world over my career have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. Read it again. And again, I want you to understand, folks, he didn't say Trump Republicans. He didn't say MAGA. He didn't say Ultra MAGA. He said Republicans. Every single solitary Republican. I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world over my career, have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing's close. All right. So you understand, it's not just that he doesn't like Republicans, but they're the worst force he's ever come across, all right, in his entire career. And General Hayden tweeted, I agree, and I was the CIA director. Okay. And he served under George W. Bush as the head of DNI. He was CIA director, was appointed and approved, and he served under Obama. Folks, I, I just, I'm going to just let you... That, there it is. Just You need to know that, okay? All right. The judge who approved the search warrant for former President Donald Trump's Florida resort has faced a storm of death threats along with anti-Semitic slurs. I had even no idea he was Jewish, so I don't know why they would do that. Legal experts say that's a worrying sign for the rule of law and democracy in the U.S. Folks, don't fall for it. Don't believe it. I'm not going to read the story because i got to hurry up here, but folks, just they don't, they don't quote a single solitary uh, threat in there. And this is becoming increasingly stuff where uh, they do something which is over and above, breaks precedent, is horrifying, and you react to it. Oh, my God, we're getting death threats. Oh, my God, you're, you're, you're criticizing the FBI. Um, well, A, that's perfectly legal in America. And then B, where are the threats? Oh, they're there. How dare you question me? This is what's going on there, folks. Nobody, nobody's threatening in this in this environment. Um Judges. And again, the reason they won't show you the threats is they don't have them. And if they ever do, it'll be something like, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself or, you know, you, you, hopefully you, you don't get win re-election or we couldn't run you out of town fast enough, which, you know, only if you have the mind of somebody that anything that, again, we say it all the time. They don't believe in a lot of things, right, Democrats. And one of them is reality, right? So I'm a, you, you should be running out of town to them is a huge threat because what I hear is, I don't like what you did, and it's the same. What they hear is, oh, my God, what does running out of town mean? They're probably, it's probably going to be an AR-15 or something like that. So, anyway. Anyway, um, listen to uh, – this is Ladina Hidalgo. Um, I used to listen to Michael Berry, and he talked about her all the time because she's the, the county judge. Basically, she runs. She's essentially the mayor of, of, of Houston town. And um, she uh, did a press conference the other day, and she had this to say. Take a listen. Defunding after you see this increase, we should be laughing. And someone who's running on a laughable, a laughable lie, everyone right now, as we're seeing the January 6th hearings, we're seeing that a lie led people to storm the Capitol and almost overthrow our democracy. Everyone should be calling out lies, okay? Everyone should be calling out lies. Yeah, I think it is funny, actually. I think it's funny for a reporter to echo the word defunding when we have just stood here. Anyway, the reason I play that, she she, she may well run re-election. I, again, I don't listen to Michael Berry, and I don't know how well it's going down there for her. Who knows? But she's she is the new Democrat. She, she's ethnic, 
She's young. She doesn't have a brain in her head. And and if you criticize her, right, she throws back manufactured hoaxes, and you're not even allowed to question me. What would you say you do here? Because you don't run Houston very well there, uh, Lena. Anyway, you're now all caught up to date on all the news of the day. And if you like this live stream, I hope you tune back in tomorrow.